Excited to get into this series, but before we do, I have a couple of things I want to announce today. Number one is that this coming Saturday is uh, our Freedom Conference. And so, yeah, we are excited about that. Um, we weren't able to have our Freedom Conference in the spring because of COVID, but we are going to be uh, moving forward with our, our conference this coming Saturday. If you don't know what that is, if you have been in a Freedom Group for the last, uh, even if it was back in the spring or the fall, um, this Saturday is for you to come out and wrap up. Kind of, kind of like it's the closer to our Freedom Groups. And so uh, so this coming Saturday is where it's happening. It's going to be here in this building, Northwood.church slash freedom. You can go and sign up. By the way, if you've been through a Freedom um, group in the past, you can also come to this. All you have to do is go to that same link and sign up. Actually, I would highly encourage you to come. Um, one thing that we always talk about is as, as leaders in freedom, uh, we get to go every single time. And uh, so twice a year, we're in an all day, well, 8.30 to, 8.30 to, to four-ish type of uh, event. And uh, we get refreshed and fulfilled and it's really good. And I, I think a lot of you, you maybe went through it years ago and I, I think you need to relook at coming out to a Freedom Conference. This will be a great one to go to. I also wanna remind you uh, leaders here in the church that either this Freedom Conference or next Freedom Conference, you have one of two options. We want you to go through the Freedom Freedom Conference again, okay? So you don't have to go all the way back through Freedom uh, small groups, but I do want you to go through the Freedom Conference again, all right? Sounds good. Cool, cool, cool. Next week, we are going to be doing our Next Steps class. Once a month, we have our Next Steps class. And in case you don't know what that is, it is a class where we really explain who we are, what we're doing, and how you can be a part here at Northwood Church. Uh, I'd love to meet you, spend some time with you after the service next week. It's about a 45-minute class. Um, I'm going to share these three, thing, three things with you and give you some next steps to take. So, so make some plans to be there. Again, we'll be together until about 12 or 12.15, and then we'll let you go. All right, what do you believe about the church? Uh, again, just to kind of recap a little bit for all of you, maybe this is your first time here or first time back in a long time. We have been in this series, What Do You Believe? And this is a series that, uh, that we've really been wanting to do for quite a while. And uh, 2020 was the year to do it. Uh, we started it back in the spring and it got chopped in half by COVID. So we picked it back up in September and uh, now we're in Octo uh, we're finishing it in November. So really this has kind of been the layout. We've talked about what do you believe about God, 
What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about the Holy Spirit? And now we're talking about what do you believe about the church? And, and honestly, it's sort of a systematic theology to a certain extent of what we believe as a church. And I think it's something important that all of us understand what we believe as a community. There's a lot of different approaches to how to interpret the Bible, how to see things um, it, that the, the Word of God talks about, and then how to apply them. And so we really want to take a good amount of time to walk through these things. And many of you understand this, but it's, it's absolutely impossible to exhaust all of these topics every single week. So uh, honestly, we, we, we build our sermon and then we edit and we edit again and then we continue to whittle down till we get to what we can actually communicate in about a 40 minute window on a Sunday morning. And uh, so today I've got a lot of content that I wanna give to you. Some things I honestly would love to take a little bit longer with, but we just don't have the time. So we're gonna jump in into this context or to this, uh, this week of what do you believe about the church? Uh, there's some questions that a lot of people have about the church. And some of you in this room probably have a lot of these questions. Why do I actually need to go to a church? Uh, can't I just listen to a pastor online on a podcast, right? Come on, COVID has really opened that up. A lot of you online might be, that's kind of where it's at. It's like, man, eating pancakes and listening to my pastor teach is kind of nice. Um, or listening to any pastor. You know, one thing that pastors in previous generations didn't really have to deal with is the fact that uh, they, they, they kind of, you know, they're kind of up against all the other communicators. Um, I'm, not, I'm not dumb. I know a lot of you are like, you know, I kind of like how Pastor Jordan does that, but I really like how this guy does it like in, uh, you know, Boston or whatever. It's like, you know, <laughs> communication styles, but it's like, do I even have to listen to a pastor? Isn't a pastor just a teacher? Isn't he just another man? Why do I need to listen to one of, of, of these guys, right? Do I actually need to be a part of a church at all? Like, what's the purpose? Uh, once someone actually says yes to this and says, yeah, I need to be a part of a church, then we have to find out what we're looking for in a church. <laughs> and this is one of my favorite things. What are we looking for in a church? Uh, do, do they have a good kids ministry? Do they have a singles ministry? Do they have good quality coffee? Like, I mean, do they have good music? Like all of, the, all of these preferences start coming in with what we're looking for in a church. You know, what style, what style of teaching? Is the pastor a topical teacher? Is he an expositional teacher? Do they teach more than 30 minutes? Because my attention span can't keep up with more than 30 minutes, right? Like it's a little bit too deep. It's too shallow. All of these preferences start coming in. Uh, is it a place that I can meet people? When I show up, do I feel like it's an actual community, an actual family, or do I feel like it's just a bunch of people getting together with putting their church face on and then none of them interact throughout the week? It's not really a family. So some people are looking for communities. Honestly, some people are not looking for a community. Some people, honestly, they just wanna show up and consume. It's just like, actually, I like going to a bigger church because I can just kind of sit down and nobody really asks me many questions and I can show up late, I can leave early and not really have to be, you know, invested. Very consumeristic approach to church. It's where a lot of people are at. Honestly, it starts feeling a lot like Goldilocks. Some of you are here today and you're, you know, you're, you're looking for a church. You're looking online. You're like, man, is this a place, you know, and I don't know, he's kind of weird looking, so I'm not really sure if I want to be there. Or, you know, the music was too loud. The music was too quiet. Like, it's too many lights. It's not enough. It's just, it's just right. Like, the kids' ministry, my kids loved it. My kids hate it. A lot of people actually go to church just for their kids. 
I've heard dad say this, like, I'm not really about church. I mean, like, I'm good. I have my own thing going on with God, but like my kids really need, you know? And I'm like, that's one of the most pathetic reasons to come to a church. If anything, you're the spiritual head. You should be teaching your kids. Like if anything, they don't need church to learn about God. You should be doing that. However, it completely misses the point of what the body of Christ is. It's not a program. It's not a service. This is part of it, but it's not just this. So we need to have a a good understanding of what the church is. What are we supposed to be looking for in a church? But in order to answer that question, you must first understand what God's design is for the church in the first place. And so through this series, we've laid a pretty good groundwork to actually discuss what we believe about the church. And because if we get our theology wrong, we get everything else wrong. And I think a lot of people don't understand how theology affects how we actually, uh, how we do church. Our, we'll get into what ecclesiology is here in a second, but, but it starts with theology. What do you believe about God is where we started. And it moves into Christology. What do you believe about Jesus? Last month, what do you believe about the Holy Spirit? Pneumatology. And uh, in this, we really taught the, the Trinity, the Godhead over the last three months. We've really dug deep to a certain extent. Uh, now we can answer, what do you believe about the church, who we are? And so we're going we're gonna to talk about how we are a family this week. But next week, we're going to start talking about what we do, our missiology, the mission that we live on. And then we're going to talk about how we do it, our methodology. Now, here's the thing about church. A lot of times, whenever you get in a conversation about church with somebody, all it is is about methodology. And it's very frustrating to me. Can I just be real with you? Because like... Like if we're talking about style of a church before we're talking about why the church exists, it's kind of meaningless to me, right? Like it's almost like you majoring in on your family and talking about uh, what you eat for dinner being like the main thing that brings your family together or not. Whenever there's, it's like, dude, what you eat? What are you talking about? That's how it feels. It's like, you know, I was talking to a guy one time, lost, doesn't know Jesus, honestly, just doesn't know Jesus, but yet was talking, uh, giving all of his opinions about how churches should do church. And I was like, this is just a meaningless conversation. Man, we should be talking about something that matters. But what happens in our society is we get caught up in styles. We get caught up in methodology because honestly, it is the most visible thing. So methodology matters, but how did you get to that point? So let's talk about the beginning of the church. In Acts chapter two, we dealt with this in the Holy Spirit, which is a perfect bridge into what we're talking about today. Acts chapter two, verse 40, it says, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. This is uh, Peter, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3000 were added to their number that day. And then verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The Didache is really what that is. It's, it was teachings on Christian morals and, and uh, kind of how the church should, should act. And this is really what the, the apostles' teachings were at the time. And so they devoted themselves to these teachings and to fellowship, to getting together, to breaking bread, and to prayer. This is how the church started. This is what it looked like. And it was a beautiful thing. This was about in 33 AD. Now, I, I want to kind of give you a little bit of a, of, a, of a picture of how the church developed from this point with a, a little bit of church history. So from 33 to 306 AD, the church went through a ton of persecution. 
a ton of persecution. It's, it's really, really bad. Like anything that we've experienced, is, is, we haven't experienced persecution, y'all. Not, not in our time, okay? So you're like, we're in persecution. No, we're not. We're really not. They posted mean things about us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whew. Our threshold is, it's poor. So anyway, um, but in 306, uh, Constantine came into power and he restores Christianity. And, 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 and I mean, it's really amazing what happens during this time. Christianity goes from being illegal, being persecuted, people are being killed for being Christians, being found out that they're Christians, all the way through the things that we're about to talk about to it being literally like the state religion. And this was a big shift Big shift, and, and there was some pros and there was some cons to this, but uh, in 313, Christianity actually became a legal, legal religion. And uh, then they could gather together. I think it's, it's interesting here. The church started in, in, in homes, okay? The church started in small groups and, and the church really didn't begin to meet together in large gatherings that much till this time. But, uh, but I, I want you to know why. The reason would be sort of like China right now. They can't gather together in large churches and, and actually, like what we're doing right here, this is a blessing. This is incredible, right? And that's why we want to protect that freedom of religion. We want to protect that, 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 that ability to gather like this, but they didn't have that ability to gather. And so whenever Christianity becomes legal again, guess what? I just have a feeling like it was a party for a lot of those people when they were able to finally get together after centuries of not being able to meet together and having to meet together in homes, they could actually publicly gather together. Are you kidding me? What a wonderful thing. So that it's not negative that the church began to go from homes, not just meeting in homes and begin to meet like this. It's a wonderful thing to celebrate. And that, that's a big change that happens here. But another thing is this, there were some positive things that happens, happened. Uh, Christian beliefs impacted the empire in a noticeable way. And here's a few of them. Women were given more dignity. Christian beliefs promoted this, that women were actually more, given more dignity. Slaves were given better treatment. The whole culture began to change. Slaves were given better treatment. The gladiator games were eliminated altogether. And it wasn't UFC, like this was to the death. This was terrible stuff, okay? And, 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 and they were removed altogether. Constantine outlawed infanticide in 315, the murder of infants. He outlawed it. Isn't it interesting that we're dealing with some of the same conversations today? Because humans, we don't change. Sin doesn't change. We just have the internet now. But the diabolical nature of, of humanity is still at play. But, but Christian beliefs begin to, to take the edge off at the very least of some of these things. He also provided a new form of welfare in 321 so that poor families wouldn't have to sell their children. This is where the society was at. And a lot of times we can, we can look to our society today and we can say it's so bad and there are many terrible things about society, but there are also a lot of good things that took place in the time, this time to steer society back to more of a biblical belief system. But some of these things are still in play today, man. We're still fighting for, uh, for, for people to be treated with equality in certain ways. We're still, we're still fighting uh, the murder of infants, if you're wondering where we stand here at Northwood Church about abortion, it's very clear. We believe that life starts in the womb. That's what we believe. And so, 
And I realize that there's a lot of tension around that. And, and the sad thing is, is that things become political when they're really, they, it's not political. This is a moral conversation that we're having. But this same conversation has been going on for a long time. Did you know that there's places in the world right now where you can, uh, you can kill a child up until one years of age? Like there's, this stuff exists today. So this, even though this stuff was happening back then, it's the same rhythm. It's just 2020. And so we've got to know, it's good to know history to know how we can maybe not repeat it, right? But there were some negative things that took place too in this time. The Roman government got involved in church affairs. So this made internal doctrinal disputes into political battles. That's why, we, that's why separation of church and state, when you actually look at it the proper way, this is one of the reasons. It's to protect the church from the state. Now we've kind of changed that, right? But, but the, the point of this is so this kind of stuff doesn't happen right here where the state begins to get involved into doctrinal disputes. Let me tell you something. I don't want a government telling me uh, what the Bible says. Okay? So, so, so I, I know some people might, might think that sounds good, you know, that in maybe some different educational systems that have people teaching your kids the Bible. You, uh, <laughs> I want to know exactly what they're doing because there's a lot of different ways to teach this word. Right, and so, so whenever it becomes this state thing, there's some negative things that could take place. And that's what happened. So as the church became more powerful, also the clergy developed into an aristocracy. They had political power. These two things began to mesh together and it was a negative thing. So naturally the gospel became about how wealth and social status were evidence of divine favor. Sounds like the, the hyper uh, prosperity gospel right there, right? It's like how much you got and, and how far you're going in life is, a, is evidence of the divine favor of, of God upon your life. But if it's going bad, therefore his favor has been removed. That's not consistent with the word of God. It's just not consistent. But that began to happen. So last month, this is an example of kind of something that we talked about last month. Um, when we talked about the Trinity, we mentioned Arianism, which is a debate over whether Jesus was God or just the son of God. During the Arian controversy, the state decided with the heretics for over a generation. As a result, for several decades, an officially Christian government persecuted Orthodox Christians. So you can see how it gets very dangerous whenever we begin to mesh these two things together. The state could side with the heretics and, and, and the people that were actually accurate in their theology, it didn't matter. They were labeled as heretics and therefore they were, some were killed. It was a very violent time. So this overcorrection continued even with the next emperor in 381, Emperor Theodosius, Theodosius, he completed the transition by making Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. So again, in a single lifespan, Christianity went from being illegal to the state religion. What a whirlwind. What a whirlwind to live in that time, right? We move forward in 325 through 787, we have the seven ecumenical councils, which were the, the, the two Nicene councils, the Chalcedon council, the three Constantinople councils, and the council of Ephesus, which honestly, a lot of the things that we talk about, what we believe our doctrinal statements come from these councils. The word of God that we have, the canonized word of God comes from these, these councils. And so um, again, we're skipping through really quick, but in 1517, I'm sorry, in 1095 through 1291, we had the crusades which 
were tough. There were religious wars between Christians and Muslims. We fast forward to 1517. We have the Reformation where Martin Luther uh, nailed, possibly nailed his 95 theses to the, to the uh, door of the church and, and honestly started the Protestant movement. Here we are. Here we are. It started with Martin Luther. He, we broke away from the Roman Catholic Church and, uh, and here we are, or Protestants, depending on how you would like to put the emphasis on the syllable. <laughs> the, the, uh, the 12th through the 19th century, we have the Inquisitions, the Roman and the Spanish Inquisitions. Uh, a lot of you know about these things. They were, they were really terrible, but uh, I'd like to let you know that not everything that calls itself Christian is Christian. Just because somebody slaps the label of Christian on top of something that's non-biblical doesn't mean that it's, it's Christian. No, 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 no. There were some things that happened in this time that were tough, that were not right. And it's funny because these inquisitions were started to protect the church from heretics. <laughs> but uh, the inquisitions had three phases, the medieval pursuit and execution of nonconformists, the Spanish inquisitions in the 1400s, mostly against uh, secret Jews and Muslims, and then the Roman inquisition after the reformation that purged hidden pro uh, Protestants where thousands were put to death. We would fall into that category if that was still happening today. Could you imagine just simply reading the word of God and believing what it said and someone's coming up and throwing you in jail or, or killing your family and, and it being justified in their religious view? It's horrible. And then we move forward from the 1600s to the 1900s. Many denominations have been formed and there's great awakenings and there's been so many changes in the body of Christ. And a lot of times, whenever somebody says, what do you believe about the church? Or you start talking about the church, some people go to the timeline and they begin to, to, to look at church history. And, and part of that's true, obviously, but is that really what the church is? What the church actually is? Let's dig into answering this question who are we? Who are we? What's our identity, guys? Number one, we are the church. The Greek word for church is ekklesia, which is where we get the term ecclesiology, the study of the church. And ecclesiology helps us to understand the role of the church and our role in the church. It also teaches us about the ordinances of the church and how church leadership is to be chosen and structured and what the church is to be doing in regards to believers and unbelievers. And so a biblical understanding of ecclesiology can also correct many of the common problems in churches today. Hey guys, listen, a lot of the problems that we experience, a lot of the, 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 the misunderstandings or the power struggles, it has a lot to do with just a, a really bad ecclesiology. People don't understand who the church is and how we're supposed to act, what our role is. And we, we, we really need to have a clear understanding of this. In order for this church to truly operate properly, in order for us to operate together, we've got to see this in, in, in the same light. We are the church. Ecclesia means a gathering of people or the called out ones. And this term was not just used for Christians, it was used for anything. You know, if you, you got together to watch a football game, you could kind of say that was a ecclesia, a gathering, right? It depends which context you were using it. But it means a gathering of people. And so the church are those, who, those, uh, those people who have been born again, those who have been called out of darkness into light. I wanna say this, and I think this is very important, that we don't define the church um, um, ourselves individually, that I am a part of the church just because I attend a church. 
I think that's a really bad way of looking at it. That is a certain component that I can understand what we're saying. But when it comes to actually being a part of the church, the called out ones, that is done or happens whenever you believe in Jesus. You, you, you are grafted into the family. We're gonna talk about this in a second, but you're grafted into the family of God. That's whenever you become a part of Jesus's church. It's not because you sign a membership card, okay? That, that's, it's two different meanings here. One's more biblical than the other. The church is first used in Matthew 16, 18. Jesus uh, asks his disciples who they think he is. Peter responds, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. We actually went through this a couple of months ago. Uh, Jesus tells Peter that he received this revelation from God. And immediately after this, Jesus says this, I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, this rock, this revelation, I will build my church. Jesus right here says, I'm gonna build my gathering, my group, my called out ones, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I wanna encourage you today, church, that there is nothing that can overcome us. There's nothing. There's nothing in this world that can literally destroy the church, the called out ones. Sure, it may look different, Sure, there may be different freedoms at different times, even in our world right now, but ultimately the church, the called out ones, Jesus is leading his church and he's protecting his church. But the revelation of the church is so important to Jesus that he pairs it with the revelation of who he is. It's very important that we understand this. We are the church. I wanna say this, not just you, okay? Not just you individually and not just me individually. We collectively are the church. Now, am I a part of the church? Absolutely. But I think some people get weird right here where they say, well, I am the church individually, so I don't need to be a part of anything else because I individually am. We struggle with individual and collective uh, definitions in our minds, even in our nation. Like, like, I don't say that I am America. We don't say that. I am America. I am the America. I am the United States. No, it's weird, right? It doesn't make sense. I am a part of America. And we in this room, we are collectively a part of America, the people of America. Yes. But some people, they take, when we talk about the church, the gathering, and they say, I am the church, so therefore I don't need to be a part of the church. No, by being in the church, you are a part of the church. It's just whether you're operating in it or not. So, we are the church. We are the body of Christ, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him Christ as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Romans 12, 5. So in Christ, we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Did you know that we belong to one another? We belong to one another. I'm not, on a, I'm not isolated. You're not isolated. We should view ourselves as belonging one to another. We are, the, we are members of one body and Christ is the head. We are, the next one is, we are the family of God. We are the family of God. Our identity, who we are, is based on whose we are. What's one of the most identifying things about you? One of the most identifying things about you is your name, especially your last name. What family you're a part of. And I really believe this. I believe that the family is the most biblical illustration of what the church is. I think it's the greatest illustration, not a, not a corporation, not a business, not a club, none of those things, but a family, a healthy family, right? A healthy family. 
First Peter 2, 9 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are chosen. We are adopted. You remember last month we talked about how we are adopted. The Holy Spirit seals us. We literally are grafted into, adopted into the family of God. And we are now brothers and sisters. Now, we don't do this too much nowadays as, as much as we used to, but, but we used to call each other brother and sister. Like literally, there was a man, <clears throat> there's, he's still a man, he's still alive. But his, uh, his name was Paul, Paul Alonzo. Y'all remember Paul Alonzo, right? He's still, we still know Brother Paul. Notice, I said Brother Paul because first name brother, second name Paul. Like growing up, it was Brother Paul. You know, it's Brother John, it's Brother Ken, it's Brother, it's Brother, Brother, Brother. And, uh, and, and yeah, sure, it can become kind of a religious thing, just like it's kind of almost strange. But there is a beautiful side of that. Brother, you are my brother. You are my sister. Like, like literally when you say that, meaning that, that's another level of commitment and, and one that we should view. I view the church as a covenant family. That's why I, I have trouble with, with church hoppers because I think people that, that go all over the place and are like three different churches every year, I, I feel like they lack an understanding of covenant. Now, here's the deal. There are times to... to move to a different church. I'm not saying that every time that somebody says my time here is done, my season's here, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying every time it's negative. I'm just saying like, it should really be something that you feel like you're almost being torn from that community, not something that says good riddance. Because here's the deal. If, if you're that flippant about that family, you'll be that flippant about the next. Right? And, and, and we should look at, at leaving churches as almost like this divorcing from a family and not to say that it's not always, sometimes it's needed. I get it. But I'm just saying we should look at it. It means a lot, right? We should look at it. It means a lot. So the church is the family of believers who are united in Christ in all times and all places and in many different gatherings. There are a lot of different churches. There's a lot of different ways to, to do church methodology. We'll get to that towards the end of the month. Um, and I think it's great. I think that it, there's a lot of different churches and I think that's actually a good thing because there's a lot of different people, okay? And that's okay. So we're not, by the way, here at Northwood, we don't think like we have a corner on the market of how to do church, all right? We don't, we don't have that kind of attitude. Like it's, it's, this is the only way. We just, we just don't see it that way, but this is the way that we do church, you know? And, and we're grateful for that. And so, so who are we? We are the church, we're the body of Christ and we are the family of God. Now I wanna take just a few more minutes and um, I want to talk about this, this next thing. Every family has an identity, but every family needs order. We got to have order. So what does order look like in the church? That's what we want to talk about for the next couple of minutes. Every single one of you in your homes, you have a culture. You have a feel. You have a way that you, you operate in your home. In your marriage, there. there there is, uh, there is a pattern, a system in which you live your life, but it doesn't mean that it's in order. It, it, there might be chaos, right? There might be uh, anger, discrepancies, uh, uh, frustrations. And, and I think that if a home has order, I believe, that that's, I believe that's how God wants those families to operate, with order. And he gives us a pattern for the family. Now, this year we haven't, 
because of COVID and different things, we haven't really had a chance to do a, like more of a family series uh, where we literally talk about the family. But, um, and we were gonna be doing it at the end of this month, but, uh, but again, the hurricane kind of threw us off. And so there's actually a, a lot of teaching that we wanna do on the family and the order that we see literally even come from the Trinity where there are different functions and different roles, but equal value and communicating that into the church, which is what we're about to do here, but also how it affects the family. Did you know that there is supposed to be order in the family? Like God created the family for the father to lead the family, for the mother to submit, but not, that's not a negative word. We'll get to that in a second. It's not a negative word. For the children to be submitted to the, to, to the parents. And in that there is order and there is strength. Now, not every family looks like that and that's okay. But at the end of the day, there's this picture that God gives us of what his family, the church, should operate like. And one of these things is there should be order. First Corinthians says this, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. See, the Bible has a lot of instruction to both church leaders and members of how to function in order. The Bible has a few things to say about it. And, and nowadays, we're, we're really not built as Americans, especially, we're not built to, uh, to like to have someone over us. Did you feel the shudder when I said that? <laughs> Ain't nobody over me. You know what I'm saying? Like we struggle with what I'm about to talk about. And honestly, it's a little bit awkward for me to talk about it, right? Just, just being honest with you. But we've got to read the word of God. We've got to talk about what, how does the church operate and what does order look like in the church? Well, I'm gonna say this. Number one, we need leadership for order. We need good, strong leadership for order. The Bible talks about headship and authority and covering. And really the one, I wanna say this, Whenever you lead something, you actually are the one who has the most responsibility of something. And I think sometimes people look at leadership like this. Someone's finally made it to the top, of, top rung of the ladder. Like, I'm a leader. Really, leadership is actually just, proper leadership is, is serving. <laughs> you know that even in, in your business or where you work, man, you know, there's a, big, there's a big jump from whenever you go to assistant manager to manager, Right? Like assistant manager, you can always just like bump it up. Like, I don't know, man. I'm kind of the mediator here, but not much responsibility. You step into management and all of a sudden everybody's pointing at you. That's what leadership is. And proper leadership has this component of servitude in, uh, mixed in, of course. But the Bible talks about elders and deacons. And, and for us today, those terms would really refer to pastors and, and ministry leaders, uh, in our church, we have small group leaders uh, that would really fall into a, a category of a deacon. And a lot of these terms are kind of interchangeable and a lot of people have a lot of, of opinions about these things. But basically there are different roles and, and functions, but, but yet equal value. I want you to know this, that like, just because I may stand at this pulpit today um, and, and teach you, I don't have any more value than you do. Y like, you've got to know that. Some people elevate pastors and teachers to this place of like deity, and, and it's just, it's really, it's not good for anybody. And there are different roles and functions. And obviously maybe my function affects this, this body more than another function, but that doesn't, that doesn't equate to value of, of us as people. I'm a member of the body of Christ just like you. 
right? So we don't want to get, get, get weird. That's honestly, that's what's happened in history with clergy and laity and this weird divide of, yeah, yeah, functions maybe, but not value, right? So, but we need leadership. So the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, be shepherds of God's flock. That is under your care. Watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those, who, uh, those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. These are some strong instructions from Peter to, to, to leaders in the church, to shepherds, to pastors. And for us nowadays, many times we, we simply use the term pastor for people who lead churches. And, and that's not wrong, but there's different gifts that are kind of associated with certain pastors. But, but he says, be shepherds. And so, you know, whenever a, a pastor, whenever you're talking to a pastor, they're really, they're shepherds. They're shepherds, they're guiding the flock. And it's not always an easy job. <laughs> Sheep are mean sometimes. And mean. <laughs> But sheep are funny. We went, to a, we went to a petting zoo the other day. I wish I could show that video. This sheep, have you guys ever watched a sheep like just full of wool, stand and just eat and just stare at you? Anybody? <laughs> it's very, it was intimidating. Look, this sheep was standing there, petting zoo, kids everywhere, and he's just standing there just full of wool, hay all over him, just staring at me. Didn't move, scared me. <laughs> anyway, I don't, that was not in my notes either. So let's get back on track here. Um, but being examples to the flock, we need leadership. Number two, we need unity for order. We talk about unity a whole lot at Northwood Church because it's very important. Hey guys, listen, we can, we can disagree just like in your family. You're gonna walk through stuff, but you gotta maintain unity, right? In our nation right now, let's just be real, y'all. This past week, what's going on? In my lifetime, I've never seen the nation this, this divided. And it's honestly, I think it's just kind of just starting. You know, the last four years have been bad enough, but it's just gonna continue. And, uh, and look, there's a bunch of opinions. And I know, you know, you might be curious of mine. I have a lot of opinions, I have, a, I have a lot of them, okay? And, um, but I bite my tongue because um, at the end of the day, you know, there's certain things that, that need to be said and certain things, there's a time and a place. And, uh, but, but at the end of the day, we, we've got to maintain unity. One day we're going to stand before Jesus, y'all, okay? We're going to stand before him and uh, I want to have, have done this right and not be divided. And so I want to encourage you in that, obviously, but family operates best whenever we're unified. And this is the same for the church. It's the same for the church. Hey guys, you're on social media with a bunch of people in this church. People are gonna post stuff you don't agree with. Welcome. Just, it is what it is. And, and I, I think I said this Wednesday night, but I'm actually, I'm, I'm okay being in a church that has diversity in it of, of political opinions. Um, like I'm okay with that. I hope you are too. Uh, it doesn't, it's not always easy. It'd be, it'd be easier to kind of just all be on one side. You know what I'm saying? That way we don't have any disagreements. But, but at the end of the day, I don't think that that's what we're called to do, right? So, uh, so, so we're gonna maintain unity as much as possible in that area. But the, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Let's continue to fellowship one with another, right? Let's fellowship. Ephesians 4, 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Every effort. 
You know, that, 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 that might look like sometimes, if we're talking politically, it might be just not posting that thing that you were gonna post. Like, it just, that, that might be what it looks like. It might be like wording it differently. Just wording it differently. Make, asking questions instead of making statements. There's like a few things that we can do in, the, in that arena, but, but it goes much deeper than that because politics are gonna do this, y'all. It's gonna do this. In this family, there's gonna be things that take place whether you, 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 might, you might disagree with someone, you might disagree with something, something might happen in your small group, something might happen on a team, uh, whatever the case is, there's gonna be opportunities for offense. I'm not prophesying that, I'm just letting you know that we're humans and it's gonna happen, all right? So, um, so you're gonna have a lot of opportunity to maintain unity and to make every effort to keep unity. And I wanna encourage you to do that. As a church, I think that that will be a great staple of our, of our community is that we maintain unity at all costs. I'm not talking about compromising scripture and biblical belief. No, 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 no. I hope that you don't think that. But sometimes, you know, we have to make an extra effort to keep unity. Number three, submission. We need submission for order. And submission has been a word, submit, submit. It's been misused and misapplied to marriages, to churches, to, to uh, authority just in general. Submission is actually a place of safety. Did you know that? Man, submission to spiritual authority, submission to, to, to authority in many different ways. Kids, hey, young people, I wanna, I wanna encourage you with something. It's actually very important that you realize that being submitted to your parents is a place of safety. And did you know that you actually, like really, you're kind of always submitted to them? Like just because you turn 18 and you go to college doesn't mean that you don't remain submitted to your parents. I'm still submitted to my parents in many, many ways. It's actually a wonderful thing. I think it's the way it's supposed to be. So don't have this thing of, I can't, when I'm an adult. <laughs> you know? Like put, put that bird chest back where it needs to be. Put it back in its cage. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> and submit, but, but we need submission for order. Hebrews 13 says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. <laughs> I don't like reading that. Um, <laughs> have to give them an account, man. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. And, and this confuses me right here. For that would be of no advantage to you. So, so whenever he talks about doing it with joy and not groaning, you know, in, in this context, it would be to help me out. But honestly, at the end of the day, that wouldn't, it wouldn't be advantageous for you. Yeah, yeah. I'll let you guys just kind of stew on that. Number four, we need to have respect for order. We need to have respect one f with another. Respect each other, respecting authority. First Thessalonians 5, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Respect. If you're, if you're a small group member, I wanna encourage you to respect your small group leader. That means this. What does it look like? When they text you, text them back. I mean, just, just putting the cookies on the bottom shelf for us here today, right? What, that, did you know that's a respectful thing to do? That's a respectful thing to do just in general, like just because you love people. But like, like answer a phone call, you know, res respect. You, you said you're gonna bring chips and salsa to small group, bring chips and salsa, man, you know? <laughs> I'm trying to break the tension in the room if you can't, guys can't uh, 
Respect one another. Respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Number four, we need honor. We need honor for order. First Timothy 5, 17, elders who lead effectively, good pastors, good leaders, good elders are worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> I'm just reading the Bible, guys. Double honor. The, the, these five things, I wanna say this first off, in Northwood Church, these five things are operating well in this church. We have good leadership, and I don't just mean like me. We have a, 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 a large team of leaders here at the church. We have unity. Unity doesn't always look like everybody's smiling and just happy clappy. No, unity sometimes looks like, looks like strong discussions where we're working it out, right? We have unity, though. We have, we have honor. We have respect. There's submission, but I think we need to, to always be aware of where we're at with these things, to maintain this community, to maintain order in this community, to maintain order in this family. So I realize I'm taking a lot of time today with this, and I realize that there's a lot of teaching with what we're going through here with what do you believe about the church. But I truly believe that if we don't understand the, the, the first step, that when we, if we go to the second step, it won't matter as much. So as a pastor, uh, in case you don't know, I've, I've been lead pastor here for uh, almost three years. January will be three years. I know because uh, two, two weeks or three weeks after we stepped into that role, uh, Elin was born. So that's actually how I keep up with that. She's almost three. And uh, it was a big change in our lives. And we, we've really experienced a lot of love and support over the years and, um, and continue to, to experience that. So I want to thank all of you over the years who have, who have honored, um, honestly, you honored and respected my parents who were pastors here for 28 years, 29 years. And, and, and then you've, you've stayed and you respected and honored the leadership here. Even through um, the last three years, there's been, you know, there's been ups and downs. There's been things that have been difficult at times. And, and guess what? We're still transitioning together, right? This church is still, this, this church is still kind of, uh, uh, moving into a different season. You know, one thing that I think is, is interesting, and I've experienced it in our own, our own family, but I think many of you have as well. Your family goes through a lot of transitions, right? So, so you know, say somebody gets married and then they have kids and you're in this season with, with young kids and it's, it's crazy, everything's a mess all the time. It's basically it's just borderline chaos all the time. And then things kind of sort of chill out whenever they leave the house. <laughs> But there's a big transition there. And as parents, you're going through kind of this, you have to rediscover your marriage almost. You have to rediscover who you are, your identity almost with, with kids not in the house. And then as young people, here you are, you're in your early 20s or whatever, and you're, you're rediscovering who you are apart from your parents. But you're still a family. You're just kind of in different modes. And, but something happens as, as kids grow into adults and then whenever you get around that 35 to 40-ish midlife thing and, and your parents are up in their 60s or 70s, there's, your whole family goes through another shift. And, and it's almost like, how do we interact with one another at this time? And then as we get older, you know, become grandparents and, and some begin to pass away. And, and, but the same thing's happening with the next generation. There is transitions that take place in families and this church, has been going through a, a, a family transition. 
And I don't mean Dakota, I mean us. And so there's different seasons, there's different modes that we're in, but I, I think through whatever season we're in, just like a family, a family needs good leadership, a family needs unity, a family needs submission and respect and honor. And so let's maintain those things as a community, as a family. And if we do that well, if we support one another, if we respect one another, if we love one another, we will continue to, to be a light in a dark place and carry the gospel onto the next generation. Amen? Amen. So let me pray for you this morning. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that we are a part of the body of Christ. We are members one of another. Jesus, that you have chosen us. You have adopted us. Jesus, you made a way where there was no way to come into your throne with boldness. And God, to be filled with your spirit in order to, to operate as a family properly in order to be lights in dark places. And so God, we, we receive that mantle. We receive that responsibility. Lord, for, for some of us where we have kind of been distracted by other things and we forgot our original calling, God, I pray that right now that you would realign ourselves with you. Father, every person in this place today who doesn't know you, every single person watching online, uh, if you don't know God, if you, if you know that you don't, you, you don't really have a relationship with him right now, it's very simple. Just say, God, I believe in you. I trust in you. I pray that you would forgive me of my sin. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the cross. And I thank you for what you've done for me. God, I pray that you would save me, that you would help me to live a life that glorifies you. I give you all that I am in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. I wanna say one thing before, before we get there. Uh, this is, is basically the last week that Ocean Springs is going to be with us. Our Ocean Springs location, our, our, our family in Ocean Springs. I know we got a lot of you all over here. We're about to go into uh, uh, doing some uh, service runs. I don't know what we're we going to call those. Soft launch services. There it is. And, uh, and so we're excited about that. We had our team out there Thursday night at rehearsal and we're working out all the kinks and getting ready to launch our fourth location services in January. And so, um, so I just want to let you guys know at Ocean Springs, our Ocean Springs launch team and Pastor Steven and Amy, we love you guys. We're with you guys. You have full support, right? And... Um, what we've done is this is our fourth location. And, and even though we say location and buildings and all these things, it's, we, we call it almost like opening up another room in the house. All right, it, it's, like, it's like having another kid, okay? It's, it's, it, our family is growing. And so I'm excited about uh, what the future holds in Ocean Springs. Um, every time that we've started a new location, there's a bunch of people that we don't know. And then within a, a year, there's this whole new family that's, that's gathered and all these people. Then you can't imagine Northwood Church, our family, without them. And so I'm excited about what that looks like. And uh, so what I want to do is I want to pray. And then I'm going to turn it over to you, Tom. I want to pray over Ocean Springs. And as a family, come on, we're... We've we got those labor pains, man. And so we're about to have a baby. So Father, we come before you for our Ocean Springs location. God, first off, we pray for Pastor Stephen and his family. God, we pray that your anointing would continue to come upon him. God, to lead.
speed well. God, that physically you would strengthen his body, that you would heal him and keep him strong. Father, for his family, his marriage, God, that you would strengthen their marriage. God, that anything, any plan that the enemy has to attack them would be thwarted right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you that, that for the whole team that's going to Ocean Springs, some that live there, some are traveling. Father, we thank you that you're with them, that you're protecting them it's spiritually, emotionally. And Father, that as we start our services in, in Ocean Springs, God, that we will see people who are far from you come to know you, come to believe in you and put their faith in you. And that God, their family and their generations, their generations would be changed. God, we, we thank you that you're going before us, that you're breaking up the fallow ground. God, all the plans that the enemy has, that all of them are ended right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for that. And we thank you for a healthy family in Ocean Springs. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. Hey, it's been a great morning, hasn't it? Hasn't it? It's been really good. I know it's been a little bit longer than normal, but sometimes that is necessary because stuff matters that much. I think this has been one of those one of those mornings. So, hey, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Tom. I'm the assistant pastor here at the Gulfport campus. And, you know, some of you just uh, made a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe some of you in this room, this is your first time here, or maybe you've just been around for a few weeks and you're like, man, I want to see what, what this family of Northwood Church is all about. Um, here's what I want you folks to do. There's a little card in the, in the seat pocket in front of you. It's our what's next card, our next steps card. And if you could just fill that out for me real quick and then turn it in back at our next steps area. There's a blue banner back there with some lights. We got a couple friendly faces back there who would just love to say hey to you, um, uh, introduce themselves to you. And then what's going to happen, and these cards are going to come to me over the next couple of days. I want to reach out to you, um, see if you got any questions about the church, um, maybe help you get you started on your relationship with Jesus, get it off on the right foot, help you get connected to the family of God, okay? And also, uh, maybe some of you this morning, you got some stuff going on in your life. You just want some uh, someone to agree with you and in prayer. We got our prayer team. They're up here every single week. Um, just make yourselves available to them. Um, they will be wearing masks. We ask that you do the same since you'll be right next to each other praying. Um, but also, uh, one last thing I, I want to let you folks know about is our strategic missions partner that we want to emphasize this week. You know, when you guys give, you're not just giving to what's going on in this room or on this campus. You're literally impacting lives in this community and all around the world. And um, one, one of the strategic partners that we have here in our local community is the Gulf Coast Community Missions. And their mission is to um, help people physically through medical care with food, emotional help through different types of, of counseling and care. And they just do some amazing things for people in need in our community. So I just wanted to let you guys know what you do when you give is impacting people's lives in a very real and tangible way. Um, and I said this, that was the last thing, but I almost forgot. There's one last important thing. I can't believe I almost forgot this because it's a big day for me. But this Wednesday is Veterans Day. And, you know, for, for our veterans, you know, I'm a 10-year veteran myself. And for those of you who are currently serving, who have served, I say thank you for serving. Um, you know, yes, give it up for them. 
You know, those of you, you're, you're one of the less than 1% of the population of our country over time who has signed their name on the dotted line, who's raised your right hand and said that oath, not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing what the future holds for you. So we say thank you as a church. We love our veterans in this church. We have a lot of military in this church because of the bases here and stuff. We love you guys. We support you. So what we want to do is stand up right now, and we're going to just pray a prayer over those folks and over us as we go throughout our week. Lord, thank you so much for the men and the women and the families who have raised their right hand, who have said yes to, to, a, to a very big calling in their lives to support and defend our country and our constitution. God, I pray blessing over them. Thank you for those who have served and, and thank you for those who are serving right now. God, protect them. God, minister to them in a special way. God, over the families who have come here who, who don't have a family here in South Mississippi, God, this will be their family for the time that they are stationed here. God, uh, just bless them, cover them, God. And uh, God, also for the Northwood family, God, as we go this week, protect us, go before us. God, we know that you're for us, not against us. And God, we claim that truth right now in the name of Jesus. God, go with us as we go throughout this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, have a great week. We'll see you later.